Welcome back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is Session 10. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. In this session, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 5, which is the beginning chapter of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount actually uh, goes from chapter 5 through chapter uh, 7. We won't have time to do all of that today. Little background information before we begin looking at chapter 5. Um, this is Matthew's, another one of Matthew's attempts to connect Jesus as the New Testament Moses, as the, the new, improved, better Moses, if you will. Uh, we're going to see as we study Matthew that there are five separate, separate discourses uh, that Jesus has, five separate uh, teaching uh, uh, moments there. And uh, that corresponds with Moses and the five books of the, uh, the five first books of the Old Testament, otherwise known as the Pentateuch. So what we're going to see here is that Jesus in these talks, particularly this, this one, takes the old covenant law that Moses brought to the people and he changes it from mere external behavior that the people were supposed to maintain to include an internal conversion, an internal revolution within people's hearts, as it will, as you will. Um, so if we compare this to another gospel, Luke's, we see that essentially the same message uh, we would find in Luke chapter 6. There are some differences. Um, but Luke's gospel is kind of the, the sermon on the plain, if you will, P-L-A-I-N, um, as opposed to Matthew's sermon on the mount. So a skeptic might say, well, okay, we've got a controversy. Did Jesus say these things on a mountain or did he say it on a plain? It's not a controversy. First of all, it's likely that Jesus made the same types of uh, statements, the same uh, teachings at different places, so he could well have done it on both. But I think Matthew is emphasizing uh, Jesus speaking on the mountain because, again, he's connecting Jesus with Moses, and Moses, of course, received the Ten Commandments uh, on the mountain, did he not? And so we're making that uh, connection. Okay, we're also going to look at uh, the question, uh, does, are we supposed to take everything that Jesus says literally? So, unless you're driving, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, and we'll begin. We'll begin with the Beatitudes, where Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, what does that mean? If I've got a bad spirit, if, if I've if I'm a really negative person, that I'll be blessed for being negative? No, that doesn't mean that at all. What uh, Jesus is saying here, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who recognize that they have deficiencies dealing with this world just by themselves, and they recognize that they need God in their lives to help them. So that's quite a different thing, isn't it? Okay. By the way, Luke, in uh, Luke chapter 6, 
when he gives uh, his version of the Beatitudes, it merely says, blessed are the poor. Okay, because one of Luke's um, uh, goals is to, um, his is more the social gospel, if you will. And um, so he's very interested in uh, proper treatment of, of, the, uh, of the poor, uh, literally poor um, materially uh, people here. So we have that little, little difference. Um, Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. And that's not just mourning about your own situation or the death of loved ones or whatever, but mourning in Matthew's uh, sense of the word, uh, mourning that um, the world is in the state that it is in and needs, uh, needs they're looking for the Messiah there. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Meek, not in the sense of being a doormat, but meek in, in the sense of um, recognizing impropriety uh, and, and yet um, not asserting your rights every time you have a chance to assert your rights. Uh, think of Joseph, uh, the, uh, the earthly father of Jesus, who had the right to put Mary to, uh, to death by stoning, but he uh, did not. Uh, use that use that right. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now that's Matthew's uh, beatitude here. In uh, Luke chapter six, Luke says simply, "Blessed are they who are hungry." Um, so not not hungering for righteousness, but rather uh, just those who who must depend on God for their very uh, livelihood, as we all do, okay? For they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy, uh, as God is merciful towards us, of course. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Ask yourself, are you a peacemaker in, in your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, etc.? Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. That is to say, those who are standing up for God um, when those who uh, are antithetical towards God, um, you know, speak, speak against the idea of being religious. Do we have that problem in America today? Of course we do. Um, so if you are a Christian in the United States, you will suffer ridicule for your beliefs. So this is not always an easy thing to on this earth to be a follower of Christ, but we do it because God so loved us that um, he shows mercy towards us, especially in terms of the future when uh, if we persevere, you know, we can have eternal life where there will be no persecution. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you uh, because of me. Okay, so that's what we just talked about. Um, then in starting in verse 13, he gives the similes of salt and light. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its taste, with what can it be seasoned? So salt is a preservative. Salt gives flavor. We are supposed to be the salt and light to our society. Too often, we as Christians take on the, um, the teachings of, of this world. Um, but as, 
as Christians, we are to be a beacon of light and we are to make an, make a difference in the world instead of merely let, letting the world make a difference uh, in our in our lives. Um, you are the light of the world. A city set on a mountain cannot be hidden. Verse 15. Nor do they light a lamp and then put it under a bushel basket. It is set on a lampstand where it gives light to all in the house. So we all have a message that we need to get out there to the world. But so many of, of, of us, we will hide that and, and people will not know uh, what we stand for. Uh, think of it this way. If becoming a Christian, if being a Christian were a crime, were to be made a crime in America, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Something to ponder. Verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Um, the Revised Standard Version says the law and the prophets, uh, which would be kind of a shorthand way of saying, do not come... Do not think that I've come to abolish the teachings of the Old Testament. I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill. That's one of Matthew's major premises, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. Amen, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or the smallest part of the law will pass from the law. Now, don't panic. He's not talking about the 600 and some odd add on uh, Jewish laws. He's talking uh, principally about the Ten Commandments. So um, we are expected to observe those, of, of course. But he is going to transform our observation of the Ten Commandments, as we shall see, from a mere keeping of the physical rules to um, changing our whole way of looking at, at the laws to making an examination of conscience. We'll, we'll see that. Whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Do you teach others to do wrong? Perhaps not by word, but perhaps by your behavior. So you, you may want to consider who it is that you are influencing, your children, your coworkers, etc., with your own behavior and kind of reel that in a little bit. Okay. He says, I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So what is he talking about here? Well, the Pharisees were very good about keeping up appearances. And yet we will see as we go on that the Pharisees lacked one uh, essential thing in Jesus' teaching. We don't see the Pharisees showing a great deal of love towards others. They were great at putting burdens on others to keep all these laws, but we don't see a lot of mercy there. So he's saying, I don't just want you to follow the rules. I, I want you to realize the, the rationale behind the rules and I want you to change inwardly your attitudes. I want to see a little more love out of you. He talks about anger, and here's an example of that. You have heard that it is said of your ancestors, you shall not kill. That's um, you know from Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, if you want to underline that and you put it in your margins. Uh, by the way, a a law that uh, God gave to, you guessed it, Moses in the Old Testament. 
but Jesus is the newer, bigger, better Moses. And so he uh, reinterprets that. And he says, and and we'll go on. It says, you shall not kill, and whoever kills will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, or you idiot, I'm sure I've never called my brothers idiots, uh, and even when I felt like it, well, I'm, I'm being facetious here. I'm sure I've said bad things about my brother. Uh, will be answerable to the Sanhedrin, in other words, the, the Jewish uh, courts there. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to fiery Gehenna. So does that mean if you ever call your brother a fool that you're going to burn in hell for it? No. One of the principles that we have to uh, um, discuss here is the Jewish use and particularly Jesus' use of the uh, idea of hyperbole. Jesus likes to make strong, colorful statements to get our attention, okay? So um, you, we do need to, when we call our brother a fool or perhaps something worse, you know, we do need to confess that. We do need to be sorry. We do need to go to our brother and ask for forgiveness. But it doesn't mean that merely by saying that, uh, you know, you're, you're a fool, uh, that you're, you're going to go to hell for that. So write in your margins the word hyperbole and underline that. It'll save you a lot of, uh, a lot of fear, I think. Uh, verse 23, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there recall that your brother has anything against you, leave your gift there at the altar, go first and be reconciled with your brother. So a key point of the Gospels is the relationships mean more than anything else. Uh, our relationship with God is, is of course, uh, uh, primary. But our relationships with our brothers and sisters, that is to say other human beings, is uh, just as essential. You can't love God without loving God's children, right? And so um, don't be as concerned with the religious observances as with the maintaining of relationships, uh, yet still be concerned with your religious uh, duties. Settle with your opponent quickly while on the way to court with him. Otherwise, your opponent will hand you over to the judge and the judge will hand you over to the guard and you will be thrown into prison. Verse 26, amen, I say to you, you will not be released until you have paid the last penny. Uh, many feel like this would be an allusion to purgatory. Um, and so I, I guess I can buy that. But I'm not going to talk about purgatory today because there are at least three verses that are much more clear about purgatory than this one. Those being, and I won't discuss them now, but I'll mention them. 1 Corinthians 3.15, 2 Maccabees chapter 12, verses 44 through 46, and uh, Revelation itself. Revelation chapter 21, verse 27, all of which to me... Um, paint a better uh, or make a better um, argument for purgatory than this one. But if this speaks to you in that way, great. We'll talk more about purgatory in another, in another session. Okay. Now he talks about adultery here, 27 and on. You have heard that it, that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust 
has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So this is a, a much stronger stance on what adultery is than what was uh, represented in the Old Testament law. So now it gets to your inner motives and not merely your external acts, okay? Because uh, in order to commit adultery, you know, one would have to have lust, right? And so he's, uh, this is Jesus' way of saying, nip it in the bud, nip it in the bud, much like Barney Fife of the old uh, uh, Andy of Mayberry TV show. Uh, now it says, here's another example of, uh, of hyperbole. If your right eye causes you to uh, sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than to have your whole body thrown into Gehenna. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Uh, well, let's not be fundamentalists here. There are Christians who take every word of Scripture literally. Again, write in your margins hyperbole. Jesus is saying, hey, if there's something in your life that's causing you to sin, get rid of it. Okay? So if you're an alcoholic, stop going to bars and liquor stores. If you have a problem with lust, don't watch pornography. Don't uh, watch dirty movies or look at dirty pictures or, you know, things of that nature, right? Get rid of what is causing you to sin. So it's hyperbole. I don't want to see a bunch of uh, people walking around uh, looking like pirates with missing one eye or, um, you know, people named lefty because they, they cut their right hand off, okay? Uh, and I'm thinking that we're pretty close to the end of our time. So we're going to have to pick up on Matthew chapter 5 uh, next time. But um, let us, uh, let's pray. How do we apply this? <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for Christ's teaching in this uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. Uh, help us as he is trying to teach us here to put our own rights aside sometimes for the sake of peace. Um, help, us to, um, help us to endure persecution for the faith as that persecution will surely come our, our way. Help us to do a thorough examination of conscience so that we can see the ways in which our hearts are not right with, with your, your teaching towards us. Um, and help us to, um, to change our, our hearts so that not only the outside acts are righteous, but that our motives and that our in, inner thoughts are, um, are righteous as well. And help us to avail ourselves of the, of the um, sacrament of confession when we have done that examination of conscience and find that we come up a bit short. Um, we ask this in, your, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So next time, we're going to, in session 11, we're going to continue on in chapter 5. We're going to look a little bit about uh, divorce and retaliation and um, who it is that, uh, that deserves our love. Hint, everyone. So, as always, I welcome you to email me your questions and comments at jhcatholicbible at gmail.com. And until next time, I look forward to your joining us again on Catholic Doctrine Bible Study.